Family relationships can be uh, rather special. These are the people that you uh, are around all the time. They're the people that you live with. They see you at your best and they see you at your worst. And they have to put up with you because they're family. They're the ones that have your back no matter what. No matter what you got yourself into, they will drop everything to be there for you. And they will be there to support you in uh, thick and thin. They are there. This is why uh, so many people will talk about family above all. Family uh, is more important than all else, or blood is thicker than water. You know, this is the idea that, that these family relationships are special. And in fact, if you have a really good friend or somebody that is really close to you, that uh, you have known for a long time, a lot of times you'll say they're like family or even they are family to me, right? Because those family relationships can be uh, so special. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at uh, family again. Jesus is going to help us to see family, but I want to, before we get to Matthew, because I know that you know we're going to be going to Matthew chapter 12 and we're going to finish uh, Matthew chapter 12 this morning. But before we get to Matthew, I want to set this up for you. Because you see, uh, families, the fact that families are special is not uh, strange. It didn't just happen. When God created the world, he intended that families would have a special place in his creation. He created uh, man and woman in his image. And he said, but it's not good for them to be alone. And so he brought them together and they delighted to be one flesh, one with another. And then those individuals created in his image then um, uh, procreated and had little ones in their images, right? Little ones that took after them. And then you see these uh, promises in Scripture, the covenants of Scripture are, are given not to random strangers who happen to be near one another, but God's covenants are given to families. And so we see that when the whole world was wicked and Noah walked in righteousness before God, that God uh, saved Noah and his family. Right? He put Noah and his family on the ark and he saved them and made a covenant with Noah. And then again, he makes a covenant with Abram. And he, when he makes his covenant with Abram, he says uh, in, well, okay. yeah, in Genesis chapter 12, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Isn't that beautiful? He says, I'm going to bless you. This is, a Abram is an old man and has no kids, and he says, I'm going to give you a, a lot of kids. I'm going to give you a lot of kids, and I am going to multiply your descendants, and I am going to be their God, and I am going to bless them, and I am going to make your family a blessing to all the families of the earth. I'm going to make you a blessing to all the families of the earth. And we see then that this covenant to Abraham's family is extended to his son Isaac, and then to his grandson Jacob. And then to Jacob's sons, and we start seeing, you know, Jacob's name is changed to Israel, and we see his 12 sons, and that family unit grows and grows 
and grows until we call them the nation of Israel and the tribes, the tribes of Israel, named after the 12 sons of Jacob. And so then when they inherit the land, the promised land that God had, had promised for them, uh, and when they were on their way there, they were organized, right? They were organized by tribe, by clan, by family. That's how they were organized. This whole structure was set up that way, that these uh, household units, these families, would be responsible for one another and work together. And then the clans, the extended families, this would be the aunts and uncles and cousins and second cousins, that kind of thing. Those would make up the clans. And then those clans would make up the tribes, which would be uh, named after one of the sons of Israel. And they would see this is an enormous extension of our family. And so everything was about heritage. Everything was about family. This was the traditions that were passed down from the fathers, the patriarchs, to the sons, to the grandsons, from generation to generation. Everything was about family. Which family are you from? Which clan are you from? Which tribe are you from? Whose son are you? And it is in that context, in that special context where family has a special place in the way that God has, has set up for uh, his people to be organized, it is in that context that now Jesus, you'll remember, has been arguing with the Pharisees. He's been teaching people and healing people and arguing with the Pharisees, and now he finds himself in a house with his mother and brothers outside, and here is what happens. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. And while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Now, we recognize, right, the, the significance of family, the importance of family. That here Jesus is uh, teaching people and he hears uh, his mother and brothers are outside and they want to talk to him. Right? They're, they're, they're coming in going, okay, we know, we know, Jesus is very popular, everybody is wanting to crowd around him, but we are going to uh, um, just play the VIP card here. We have special access, we've, we've got family relationships here, and so they come uh, up to the house and they say, uh, Jesus is inside, we can tell by the huge crowd. Can, would you let him know that his mom and his brothers are out here? We'd like to talk with him. Right? This is like, you can think like of, of like a, a concert or something, and the, the person, the, the star who's there, for, and, and uh, everybody wants to see them, but the, the family has special access, right? They get backstage passes, and they can say, oh, we don't mean to interrupt, but we really have something important that we want to talk with you about. And so this family, the mother and brothers of Jesus, stand outside, and they ask, Jesus, we'd like to speak with you. Jesus, we'd like to speak with you. We have family relationship, and we, we are uh, calling that in because we need to talk with you about something. So then in verse 47, it says, And someone told him, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside asking to speak to you. Now, I want to take a time out for just a moment. I, we're going to just put a pin in that. We're going to remember that our context is family, but we have to talk about something else that I don't get to talk about very often, and that is where we get the Bible from. And the reason that we're going to do that is because if you're reading in the NIV, you're reading along in verse 46, 
that uh, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. And in verse 47, uh, someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside asking to speak to you. But if you happen to be reading in the English Standard Version rather than the New International Version, you would read verse 46, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. And in verse 48, it says, but he replied to the man. And if you're reading in the ESV, you might look and you might say, now hang on, what happened to verse 47? Where did it go? Where, where did that go? Right? And so we have this, this uh, conflict here between the, the NIV and the ESV, and I want to acknowledge that and take this opportunity to talk about where do we get the Bible from and why did this happen here, Okay. Now, the reason that this happens is because uh, the Bible was not written down by one person like we have today where an author writes everything down, then somebody edits it, then they send it to a publisher, and many copies are made with every, every copy being exactly the same handed out, right? The way that the Bible was written is that people wrote letters to one another, and in this case, Matthew, the disciple of Jesus, Matthew Levi, wrote down the story, his account of what happened when he was an eyewitness to all of the things that, that Jesus said and did. And he wrote that all down, and he sent it to some friends. And he said, you need to know this. And they said, this is really good. Everybody needs to know this. And so they made copies of it, and they sent it to their friends. And it would go to churches like in Philippi and Colossae and Rome. And many copies would be made. And those copies would be passed out to a variety of places. And uh, we know this because of the way that uh, the Scriptures spread, and we know this because we can go back and we can see very, very, very old copies. Very old copies. Now, when we're looking at it in the English, it's been translated from the Greek that Matthew wrote it down in into English for us. So we know it's not exactly what Matthew wrote. When we are talking about the Word of God, the Bible, being inerrant and infallible, having no errors, what we're talking about is when Matthew first wrote it down, in the Greek, it was perfect the way that he wrote it. We don't have that copy. We have copies that were made from there, and occasionally, you'll see a spelling mistake or something. That one person was copying from somebody else's letter, they were writing it all out by hand so that they could send it to somebody else, and there might be a spelling mistake from this copy to that copy. And occasionally, there might be something uh, different, yet, in a case like this, one of two things happened. Either, verse 47 was there, Matthew... Hang on, this is... I'm trying to pull off my ear. Okay, there we go. Either Matthew wrote verse 47, and as someone was, uh, was copying it, their eye went from verse 46 to verse 48 because verse 47 is so similar to verse 46. The other thing that may have happened is Matthew didn't bother writing in verse 47. He just had uh, this, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. We all know that somebody then tried to tell Jesus about this, and so he just wrote in, but he replied to the man who told him, and somebody was copying that along and was like, that, I'm going to make a little note here, that somebody right near him, somebody said to him, your mother and brothers are outside, 
And so they wrote that in to smooth out that transition from verse 46 to verse 48. And in this case, we have very old manuscripts that say both of those things. And so when you go back and you can, can do this, if you want to look them up online and you want to look at the Greek and see uh, how the really, really old ones look, you can see that there's some differences between them. And the people who were putting together this translation of the Bible had to make a decision. Do we include this or do we not include this because we have this difference? Now, here's what my encouragement to you. Because we have differences like this, we actually have great confidence in the Scriptures that our copies are so reliable, so consistent, that this happens so very rarely, that there would be differences uh, between the things that we're looking at. And let's say, let's say, okay, but Travis, in this case, we have this huge difference. It's a whole sentence that some people think should be included and other people should think it should not be included. What do we do about that? And I look at it and say, it doesn't change the meaning of it at all. And that's the great thing about the text that we have is that uh, it, it doesn't change the meaning at all. So you have this, while he was speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside, and then someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside asking to speak to you. So in, we'll, we'll just presume for, the, the, for today that this should be included, and you have then this third-person perspective we're, we're the readers of Matthew's account, and he gives us this third-person perspective, so we know that the mother and brothers of Jesus were standing outside. And then somebody says, hey, Jesus, your second person, we're moving in more intimate, hey, Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside. Presumably, they were standing out there wanting to talk to Jesus. They couldn't get in to tell him themselves, and so they passed word through the crowd until somebody from inside there that Jesus could hear heard about it and goes, oh, oh, hey, hey, time out. I know that you're teaching, but Jesus, your mother and brother are outside, and they really want to talk with you. And so what would we expect Jesus to do? He would go, oh, I'm very sorry. Okay, everybody, can we just take a time out here? I'll come back to the teaching about uh, who God is. Uh, I'm going to go out and talk to my, my mother and brothers a minute, and then I'll be right back and we'll resume. But Jesus replied, this is now verse 48. But he replied to the man, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And verse 49 says, And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples, and he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Here are my mother and my brothers? This ragtag group of disciples that you put together? This ragtag group of disciples that you put together, these fishermen and other buddies of yours that have been hanging out with you as you've been walking all over the place, this is now your family? And, and maybe you have experienced this or, or seen this where somebody says, I'm going to uh, now say these people are my family. Sometimes they like disown their, their biological family, their family of origin, and they go, no longer, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. This is now my family. This is now my family. Is that what Jesus is doing here? I mean, for us, for us, 
The, the fact that Jesus wouldn't have gone out to talk to his family right then because he was busy, we, we might understand that, right? In our context, we, we might understand, oh, hey, he was busy. He can't talk right now. He'll catch up with you later, right? That level of thing we can understand in this culture here. It's a little bit more difficult to understand in a Middle Eastern context like this when family is so important that you would put them off and make them wait. But even in a context like ours, that you would take this opportunity to go, oh, my mother and brothers? Who's that? Who are my mother and brothers? These guys. These guys right here. This is my new family. That's what it sounds like to the people who are there. This is, this is uh, surprising to us. It is shocking to the people that he's talking to. Hold on. Are you redefining family? This institution that God has put together since the beginning of time, this way that all of society has been organized around the family unit, the household unit, are you changing that now? But what, God, but what Jesus wants to do here is, uh, is help the people who are around him to see something very clearly, and this is what he wants, to, wants them to see. Verse 50. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Everyone who does the will of my Father in heaven, that is my brother and sister and mother. Now, isn't this interesting? We have Jesus sitting in a house with his disciples here, and he's talking about the one Father that he has, the heavenly Father. He says, this is important. We are, as a household, if we are all together, following the will of my Father. What's, what's the tension now? What's the tension in this moment for Jesus? The tension is that his family of origin, his mother and his brothers, are standing outside and they want something from him. Right? They have a desire, they have a will for Jesus, and their desire, their, their want for Jesus right now is that Jesus comes out and he talks with them. And Jesus says, but that is intention at this moment with what my spiritual father, what my heavenly father wants from me. I am doing the will of my Father. I am doing the teaching, the explaining, the calling from my heavenly Father. And if those two things are intention, if my earthly family and my spiritual family are intention, I must give preference to my heavenly Father. I must give preference to my heavenly Father. I do not think in this moment that Jesus is completely rejecting his mother and his brothers. We're going to hear about them later. There is relationship that he has with them. He has a special, loving relationship with his mom. He is not rejecting her and saying she is no longer family. But he is trying to help the people around him to see that there is a spiritual family here. This is a household. Those who are following the will of the heavenly Father. He says, I have a Father who is in heaven, and I must do what He wants. He's the head of the household. He's the head of the household, and I must follow what He wants. We've 
already said that families have this special relationship, right? They have this special relationship where they can put demands on you, expectations on you. They can call you to things that other people can't do, that, that you have a responsibility to them in ways that not everyone has those kinds of responsibilities to you or, or that you have to them. And what Jesus is doing is he's saying, okay, now you have this relationship with the Heavenly Father. Now, I, I want to, I want to uh, take a moment and to say that as believers, as those of us who follow Jesus, we are then brought into the family of God. We are brought into the family of God, and we have a Heavenly Father. But I want to caution us. I want to caution us. Because the word family, we are, or actually the phrase, we are a family here, gets misused so often. So you might find yourself in an organization, maybe it's a, a sports team, or um, maybe you work for a, a company, or you're part of some other uh, community organization or something, and they will say, we are family here. We are family here. And what they may mean is we are very close-knit, we support one another, we have each other's backs, and, and we are here. But what that often gets twisted into is we are family here, which means we can put unreasonable expectations on you. We can have unreasonable expectations on you, and we can call it family. We can call it family. Oh, oh, this is, this is, we really need you to step up and go above and beyond because we are family here. We are family here. We watch out for each other. And so I know that it is unreasonable, but think of us like your family. If your brother were to come to you and ask you to do this, you would totally do it. And so even though this is your job, you should have that kind of relationship because we are family here. One of the other ways that it gets used is, is we say things like uh, family is, blood is, is uh, thicker than water, family is ultimately important, and so uh, you will see dysfunctional families say, okay, what that means is that we must protect the members of our family. So if somebody does something illegal here in our family, it is my responsibility to protect them, to shield them. So that they will not experience, I, I, I should not tell any authorities or that kind of thing because this is more important. This is more important and so I must defend and protect and shield my sibling or my parents or my children. And we will see that kind of thing in organizations as well. They will act as if they are families. And so what that will mean to them is we have things going on here, but we're going to keep that in-house. In-house, right? That language, we're going to keep it in-house. Like we're a household, like we're a family here. We're going to keep that private. That's not for public consumption. We're not going to talk about that. We're not going to acknowledge it. We're going to hide it here. And you will see these organizations that will do these kinds of things and they'll say, oh, 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 but we're family here. We're going to protect it. We're going to ignore it. We're going to hide it. We're going to pretend that it's not happening. We're going to shield it and make sure that, that nobody knows. And so you have all kinds of different abuses and sins that, that get covered over and get uh, hidden and passed by so that they don't come to light because this is what it means to be family. And I want to caution us against that. If you find yourself in an organization that uses family in that way, run. 
run. Because that is not what family does. That is not what healthy family does. That is what dysfunction does. And if you find yourself in a church where people are covering things over or hiding abuses or those kinds of things because we need to protect the, the leadership or because we need to protect the people of the family, run. Run. Don't walk. Don't stay. Don't go, well, maybe I can fix it. Maybe I can correct it. Maybe I can bring the change. Get out of there. Get out of there. That is not a safe place to be. If, if we in the church start putting the pastor or elders or other figures in the father position, we are missing it. We are missing it. We are family here, family because we are in the family of God, right? I am not a father figure in this church. I'm not the head of this church. I'm not head of household. We submit to the Heavenly Father. And if there's any tension, whether it's family or in the church between following the will of God and, and following the will of the family, whatever that relationship is, we follow the will of God. We follow the will of God. And that is what Jesus is putting before the people that he's talking to right here. He's putting before them, he's saying, I have to follow my heavenly Father before anyone else. When I follow him and when I'm in the kingdom of heaven, God is prioritized above everything else, even family. Even family. If there is any tension between what I need to do to, to honor him and do what he wants and what my family wants, I have to go here. I have to go here. He's not doing away with family. There is still a special place for family. And I, I still think there is high priority for family. We are not replacing family with the church or with God's people. But we do have special relationships here. And one of the beautiful things that I have seen in churches is not how uh, they can replace, but how they can um, supplement and how they can in some ways substitute for people whose families are so dysfunctional and broken and they don't have it somewhere else. And then they can come into a place like this and we've got your back. We've got your back. We don't have your back in the way that we're going to cover over things and pretend that, that they don't exist. But in the kind of way that when you come in and you confess your sin, we are with you. We want to support you. We want to help you acknowledge that and to walk in righteousness. And so you can come in and say, I don't have all of my stuff together. And we go, yep. And we are going to bear with you. We're going to bear with you. We're going to put up with it. We're going to help you. We're going to encourage you. We're going to push you so that you can walk in righteousness with God. And now, the ideal would be all of us would come into this place and we would all walk in the righteousness of God and we would all live happily ever after. And I look around at you and I look in the mirror and go, wow, that is not going to happen. There's too much propensity for dysfunction here. Which is why we have to continually be going back and saying, God, I know that I am not walking in righteousness with you. I know that this is sin in my life. I know that this has been ongoing sin and I want to confess that and I need help and I'm going to confess it to my brothers and sisters in the Lord and have them walk with me so that I can do away with that.
or there were other things that happened more recently and it was a one-time thing, but God, I need to confess it to you so that I can walk in righteousness with you. And this is the community where we can do that. Some of you are blessed to come from families of origin where your family of origin is that kind of place too where it's not dysfunctional, where they're not asking more of each other than they should, where there's not abuse, and you have the kind of, of place where everyone is trying to walk in obedience to God, and they are walking together as a family, and that is beautiful. And others of you I know don't have that. And so I want to invite you into this place where we follow God as our Father, and we say, whatever your last name is, here we are family of God. Here we are family of God. I had a privilege this summer, my sister got married, and I had the privilege of doing the toast at her wedding. And uh, when I did the toast at my sister's wedding, one of the things that I said was uh, her husband, Eric, I, I said, Eric, welcome to the Tatama family. I know that my sister has given up the last name Tatama and has taken on the last name Miller. But I want you to know that Tatamas don't lose family members. They add them in. And so your last name may be Miller, but you are now invited into the Tatama family. And for me, what that means is the heritage that started with my grandparents and was passed to my parents and has been passed to me and which I am endeavoring to pass on to my children is that we follow the Lord. And we had extended family, we might call it now the Tatama clan, right? The Tatama clan. We had all kinds of extended family, and I said there are all kinds of people here with many different last names, but they are Tatamas because they have been adopted in or have married in to the Tatama family and the heritage of following the Lord and passing that, uh, that heritage on from generation to generation. And now what I am inviting you to do is the same. Whatever your last name is or wherever you came from, I'm not inviting you into the Tatama family. I'm inviting you into the family of God. Where from generation to generation we are following Him in righteousness as best we can. We are confessing our sin and repenting of it. And we are passing on the good news of Jesus. And so I want to invite you into that. And the blessing that I prayed for my sister, I want to now pray for you. This comes from Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God." Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church 
and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is not a thing that we can do under our own power and strength, but it is a thing that is given to us in the grace of God through His mercy, through Jesus, that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk in love with one another and in love for Him. And I would invite you today that if you have not known this kind of love, if you have not experienced that, if you have not before confessed your sin and repented to God, I would encourage you to talk with me after the service and let's, let's welcome you into the family today. Let me pray for you now. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you are good, that you are glorious, that you are merciful and compassionate and loving and gracious. Lord, thank you. Thank you that when we stand before you as sinners, you offer Jesus as a sacrifice to cleanse us of our sin. That whatever we have gone through or may be going through, you stand with us and behind us, you go before us and protect us and have welcomed us into your household that we might be adopted in. And so, Lord, I pray for those who are here today. I pray them, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, that they would know in their innermost being that they are yours. And that they would grow to know more and more the height and depth and breadth and length of your love for them. That with all the families and all the saints all over the world, we might glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen.